Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast, a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. This week, you're going to hear from lead pastor Nick Gibson as he talks in the most recent Engage and Equip Live. At this particular Engage and Equip, he's going to be talking about what is needed next in our ministries. So what's one simple practical tool that can increase your ministry effectiveness to people regardless of where you're serving? So he's going to talk through devotion, doctrine, and action and how having a proper understanding of how you relate to each of those three things and how the people you're ministering to relate to each of those three things can be really helpful in taking next steps in ministry. So take a listen. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Engage Equip. I'm glad there's kind of a lot of you here. Um, I was a little afraid we'd lose a little momentum. And, you know, anyway, it's really great to see all of you here. Thanks for taking the time to come out to this. I want to thank you. I always, I mean, I probably, you've probably heard me say this before. I feel extremely emotionally awkward thanking you for ministering and serving because I always, feel, I know it seems kind of weird, but like, I'm not Jesus. And I don't, I don't want to presume because you don't do it for me. And so when I say thank you, it always feels a little awkward. Um, but so, but it's my job to stand in for Jesus, it, which leads to the second problem that I don't know exactly what Jesus thinks about every one of you, <laughs> other than his unfailing love. So, um, okay, but given those caveats, which for some reason I need, um, I, I just want to thank you so much for what we were able to do together just last year at High Point. Um, it, it, isn't, it isn't calculable. You can't really figure out what happened. You can't really figure out how each person that got touched or was helped or made it rather than didn't make it in some way or was able to take some major step of faith or whose life changed in a particular direction. How, what the chain of events that comes from that is, there's, there's no way to calculate that. Every once in a while, you can tell a story about how somebody did something for someone else in Jesus' name, and that, and then you can kind of measure, you can like tell the story of how that touched this person and that touched that person. And I can't, I can't do that for you. I could tell you some individual stories, but I can't tell you what happened for everybody. I just keep hearing things over and over again. I've, I've heard, for example, a number of people tell me, I've had people, I think I've had three people in their 70s come up to me and say, I can't go to the Sexuality Everywhere conference because the PTSD that I still suffer for the sexual trauma that I suffered when I was a little kid would have me having flashbacks for weeks. But I can't tell you how excited I am that you're doing this conference, that our church is willing to talk about these things and face these things. I had another guy come up to me um, and he said, listen, I, I, I have this job where I can't be in town for that week. I'd like to pay the scholarship to people. He said, because over the last three years, High Point Church, no doubt has saved my life. Um, and I said, well, I, I, that sounds like a story. I'd love to hear more about that story. And so I'm going to have lunch with him in the next couple of weeks. It's, it's just really hard. And, and it's really hard to quantify which per, what percentage you had in each of these stories. You know what I mean? And it, it, and I get most of the credit in people's minds, sadly, if they don't transfer it to Jesus, which they ought to. Um, but I, like I, I was told church, I would never pastor a church like this. I told people what my ministry model was going to be. And they said, 
Um, I hope you're happy. Pastor in a small church that doesn't grow. I had, I literally had people tell me that. If I said, no, I'm going to focus on preaching the Bible. I'm going to focus on loving people, holding discipleship and grace and balance, preaching the whole counsel of God, not pieces of it, being connected to trends, but not trendy, um, dealing with issues, but not trying to be sexy. Like I, I want to, I want to build a church that holds the things God cares about and reveals in himself intention in the tension of the gospel and not apologize and I'm not going to compete with other churches I'm going to compete with hell for people not with other churches and God is going to bless it with fruitfulness okay and I'm not saying other churches don't do that I think a lot of pastors are trying to do that okay but that's what I'm trying to do and when I explain that to people who were consultants of church growth <laughs> the, my prognosis was not good <laughs> now that that's possibly because I may have been one of the worst seminary students ever at my seminary. The, chair, the guy who was the chair of preaching who came the same year I did, which would be like 20 years ago now, okay? So he was the chair of preaching for 20 years at Trinity. A very great man, um, my preaching mentor. He, he referred to me as his most improved student. <laughs> he was over that department for 20 years, okay? Like that's, that's a weird compliment. And so I just, um, I just want you to know that, that I, I love you. Like you, some of you would ask me what your name is and I would not know. And so I know it may not sound deeply rooted that I love you, but I, I love what we're doing together. I love that we get to be in the same family. Um, I, I hate that I don't get to be in your, the friendships you're having, that I don't get to be a part of. Um, I love hearing about the things you do from people when they tell me. I love hearing about you get bragged about in the city from people when it filters back to me. I love the reputation our church has enjoyed at least the last five years. Um, even among a lot of non-Christians and organizations that don't think much of Jesus. And um, I, I, ha I have no idea... Um, like if somebody asked me to make that happen somewhere else, I don't know that I could because like I think I would say, well, a lot of people ask me how we do stuff. I go, well, it has a lot to do with the people that go to High Point. They're, just, they're a certain sort of person. You're all different, but there's there are a lot of traits that are shared. And one of the traits that I want to talk about tonight that's shared is that you, we are a focused people who also believe very strongly that we need other kinds of people. And we are not merely focused on the other kind of people, on just a few boxes that our culture likes to check off, like race and sexual minorities. Though those are important. Those are important other categories. But there's lots of ways people are different from each other, all the way down to the fact that we're individuals. None, not, not two of us in this room are exactly the same in everything, right? All right, so what, what I want to talk about in terms of ministry equipping tonight is, because I could just gush, I could just gush for 30 more minutes. You know me. Um, what I want to talk about tonight in terms of ministry equipping is that I, I want to give you just a very simple way to think through what is needed next in whatever thing you're ministering in. Whoever, whatever ministry, whatever church, whatever person you're ministering to and even yourself and I want to I, it's, it's going to cover everything in the world but I think it'll cover a lot 
Okay. Hold on. I have a little thing in my pocket, right? Okay. I should never have nine pockets when I come up here. Okay. Is my thing up there? Okay. If you ask, okay, so what, what we want to accomplish in ministry is we want to see people come to faith, to repentance and faith. They want to become believers belonging to Jesus, right? We want to see them grow spiritually, right? If you've ever, knew, ever been to Explore, I say all of the ministry of High Point Church is ordered around helping you grow spiritually from wherever ever you at, you're at to wherever God will take you, right? And then lastly, the third thing is always perseverance, okay? Um, one of the theological distinctives um, of churches who believe the whole Bible in relationship to salvation is you don't just get people saved. It is the job of the church to shepherd them across the finish line of their death. In the seven churches that Jesus writes these letters to in the, in the book of Revelation, in every single one, when he talks to the people at church, he says, and to the one who overcomes, I will give, and then he gives some great gift. And the assumption there is, is that the job of every Christian is not just to believe in Jesus right this minute, but to do what is necessary to make it until the end and to do whatever is necessary to make sure the other people with you make it to the end. Perseverance is fundamental. Everything in a church should be aimed at helping people persevere. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, <clears throat> if you ask the average churchgoer about their spiritual theology, now they won't even know they have a spiritual theology. But if you say, listen, if you want somebody to come to Jesus, grow in Jesus in persevere in Jesus, what's the secret? What's the secret to them coming to Jesus, growing in Jesus, and making it to the end in Jesus, right? Depending on the person you talk to, they will usually give you one of three answers. This is true of individuals, this is true of ministries, and this is true of churches, and it's true of the majority of them. So some people will say, what matters is obedience. That's the secret. If you recognize that you are the servant of God. You are his son under the authority of the Father. You are his, you are under the truth, right? You need to do what you're supposed to do. You need to get back in line with the reality. And that leads to all kinds of other things because if you obey God in the act of obedience, you learn so much. And in the act of obedience, God reveals things about himself that will make you love him so much more. And so, and it creates this feedback loop between faithfulness and faith. The more faithful you are, the more God will use it to build your faith, which will lead to more faithfulness, which God will use to build your faith. And it creates this positive feedback loop that will lead to more faith, more devotion, more love for God, and more knowledge about God through action, through obedience. Now, of course, there's an ugly version of this, legalism, Right? But there's a, there's a good version of that. Okay, now there's an, another version would be something like, here's what matters. It matters more than anything else. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? Do you love him? Is he in your heart? Do you have a passion for Jesus? Do you have a passion for the things that Jesus has a passion about? Is there a white hot love inside of you for him? Right? Because everything flows from devotion. You tried to stop a sin? And you can't obey? You can't bring yourself to obey? It's because you never fully loved Jesus more than you loved that idol. And if you loved Jesus more than anything else, you wouldn't need that idol anymore. You wouldn't hope in it for your success or your love or the release of everything that you need. And then it would just fall off like wet clothes when you come in from a winter frolic in the snow. Because you're going to get in the warm bath, which is better. 
And if you focus on loving Jesus, loving God, having devotion, obedience will take care of itself. Knowledge will take care of itself. Right? <clears throat> then there are other Christians, churches, and ministries that would say, listen, one of the reasons why people don't obey God and one of the reasons why they hate God for loving them is because of how confused people are and because of how ignorant they are. They don't know anything about God, and the stuff they think they know about God is all confused, and they're trapped in the struggles and darkness of their own mind. They're like, they're like a wagon full of something good that wants to roll down the hill, but somebody has stuck big pieces of wood under the tires. And it's, the whole thing's just stuck. The wheels are stopped up, and you've got to unstop the wheels. And the way you unstop the wheels is by bringing clarity. The bright light of truth has to come in and reveal. And when it does that, it evokes devotion, and it evokes a desire to obey, and it releases people into the freedom of belief and the freedom of commitment, and it launches them into a willingness to sacrifice. And so you're going to get devotion, and you're going to get obedience, and you're going to get a feedback loop that leads people to want to believe, to want to grow, and to persevere to the end. Does that make sense? Now, which of those three things you think the secret is? Now, you might be sitting there being like, Nick, I don't think it's one of those things. I'm totally balanced. I'm totally balanced, right? Probably not, okay? Probably for each one of us, our temperament in the culture that we're from, either the family culture, the church culture, or the cultural culture that we're from, is going gonna, is gonna to kind of naturally help us gravitate towards one of those three things. We're naturally going to think, what, yeah, they're all important, but one of them is really important, Right? In fact, there's probably an order. There's probably one that you think, it's like love languages. It's one that's a really great one, right? And um, however, um, any one of these focused on inordinately or used alone is going to fail you spiritually. It's going to make the gospel ugly so that people aren't really going to want to believe. At least people of the other two temperaments, right? So if you're all heart, you might win a bunch of romantics to Jesus right? If you're all mind, you might win a bunch of analytics to Jesus. Just look at the percentage of engineers that go to this church, right? And then look at the percentage of poets that go to this church. There's a disparity, <laughs> right? If, if you, for example, one of, the, one of the passages in the Bible I've come back to a number of times in the last couple of years is Romans 12, and if you read just the, the first couple of verses in that, um, in that chapter, the Apostle Paul is uniting all three of these things as tightly as he can. Now just listen, listen, listen for those three things. Doctrine, truth, mind, right? Devotion, heart, passion, and action, obedience, doing, okay? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. 
And so there's all this language of sacrifice and devotion and giving yourself in there, right? Which ties together action and passion. And then he says, don't be so caught up in the world, but you have to be transformed in the renewing of your mind so that you'll know what God's will is. Why? So you can obey it, so you can do it, because it's pleasing and beautiful and perfect. It's something worth devoting yourself to, right? And so chapter 12 comes at the end of 11 chapters about the gospel, the message of Jesus. And, And Paul is trying to argue that if you understand Jesus as he really is, Jesus holds all three of these parts of our human being together. To, to, to get us to be in agreement with ourselves rather than each of us being a third of what we're meant to be and hating each other. And the very next verses here focuses on this. L- listen to them. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Because faith in and of itself is not specifically given to any of those three temperaments. How much faith do you have? Well, the person who's a romantic and the person who's a rationalist and the person who's a pragmatist, the doer, the thinker, and the feeler, all of them equally, they feel faith a little different, but belief, commitment, trust, In fact, you can find romantic language related to faith in the Bible. You can find actional language related to faith in the Bible. And you can can find a mental ascent language attached to faith in the Bible. All of those are roads to faith, and faith is at the center of all of them. And therefore, humility is the uniter of all of them. Right? They're united in the gospel, and that unity is kept in balance by our humility. And as you read through the rest of Romans 12, Paul highlights all three as part of Christian faith as he goes through. You can read that later if you want. Okay. Also, it's important to recognize that they're not only not at war with each other, but those three parts of us are meant to feed, feed off of each other. Now, that can be true inside yourself, Right? Your action, the things you do in the world, will teach you lessons in a way that study never can. There are things that I have learned about faith and about God that I couldn't have learned in the study. There's a, there's a, there's a state of mind that you have in the study that is different than going out and doing something. And there is, there is a linear way things play out when you go out and do something. And you learn certain things in certain ways, right? Devotion will lead you to action. What good is devotion if it doesn't do anything? I mean, the Bible basically explicitly says that in the book of James. Without action, your emotion isn't worth much. Real passion is longing for something to, to strike out to, to act upon in worship, in service, in something. Without action, your passion's going nowhere. And without doctrine or truth, you may not even know what you're passionate about and what that tends to lead to is very shallow emotion. Emotion that's kind of like a little brook that's only running like 100 feet per second, but because it's running downhill and over a lot of rocks, it, it sounds like there's a lot happening. There's a lot of gurgling, right? But there's a lot less substance there than a river that's running 50,000 feet per second but isn't making any splashing. And our emotions can be like that. When we don't really know what we're passionate about, we'll get really, really passionate about really, really shallow things, and our emotions are really shallow, though they're, though they're white hot. There's no, 
There's no grit to them. That's why people have been married for like 50 years and they see like two young people in love and they're like really hot in love. And the, the older people are like, whatever. They don't even know. Right? And, they're, and the old people are right. But the young people are in love. It's just the lungs with which their love is breathing are baby lungs. They're full. They're just small. Right? Okay, so what I want to do now is I want to take you through just sort of some practical ways to grapple with this because the rest of the staff are always on my back about making the practicality of my talks explicit, which is important, I'm sure. Okay. <laughs> so how can we pursue this or use this practically to sort out how to actually do ministry? Okay. So I'm going to take you through a number of questions. Okay, and hopefully you have a pen and paper. If not, take these, like, nice things they put on the table and tear them apart and write on them. Okay. Sorry, Aaron, or whoever's mad at me about that. Okay. Um, all right. So write down, or you can write down in your mind or on your phone, um, write down your order for these three things. Your, okay, you might think you're balanced. That's great. I think I'm balanced, too. We're all balanced. Fabulous. Okay. But in your temperament, there is an order to those three things. There is your default there is your second, and there is your, like, please don't make me function this way, okay? And you need to know about yourself that order, okay? So I put up my, or my order. There's no question in my mind. Doctrine first, truth, thought, clarity, then action, do something, then devotion, okay? I, I feel very strongly about devotion, just not as strongly as the other two, Right? And then I asked Jill what hers were, and she's like, well, I think it's doctrine, devotion, and then action. Then she went back, and she's like, no, that's wrong. Which is why I'm always like, that thing Jill said, that's brilliant. Right? Because she's, she's the same. We're the same. Right? Now, but if you go to other people on our staff, it's, it wouldn't be the same. And for many of you, it's not the same. Okay? Now, probably there's going to be more people at High Point where doctrine is their first than the other. Why? Because I color the whole place, right? And that's always a danger for churches, right? If you've got one person who's the main figurehead and they're like, that's all they do. That's why I like pretend I have emotions whenever I can. And I like talk about practical stuff and like we should do these things because I, I don't want the church to be like that. I don't want a bunch of like people who think like me listening to sermons that I think like thinking that's brilliant, right? I want other people to recognize what I'm saying is brilliant. So one, of the, <laughs> so one of the first things to do is just you need to, be, you need to be straight with yourself. What's your order, okay? Now the next thing is, <clears throat> what does that order actually tell you about yourself? Okay, I'm not doing this work for you, right? What does it tell you about yourself? If doctrine is first and action is last, what does that tell you about yourself? It should tell you something different than if doctrine is first and devotion is last. Or if devotion is first and doctrine is last, that ought to tell you something about yourself. If devotion is first and doctrine is last, what's your biggest danger? You don't know what you're feeling about. Not very deeply. It's more likely you're going to feel fairly shallowly in a fairly shallow band because you're not intellectually curious enough to open the depth of the meaning of that band, which means that your devotion is in danger because you're not really feeling much 
you might be feeling a lot, but not, you're not feeling a lot about that much. Right? It's like meeting some guy. He's so fabulous because you know like eight things about him. And then later you find out like everything else is bad about him. You know? Or after a while you just don't find out anymore and you, you realize you're really bored. Right? Devotion gets bored. That's one of the great things about loving God is like you can learn a new thing every minute. Forever. It's exciting. All right, so what does it tell you about yourself? Now listen, I would encourage you not to forget about this question. I would encourage you to write it down and have some devotions this week and ask, like, meditate on it a little bit, okay? All right, what B? How how does this mean you'll try to grow your own faith? So if you want to grow in your faith and if you want to persevere to the end and those, that's your order, what's the most likely, likely way you're going to try to get yourself to grow spiritually? Think about the spiritual disciplines you use or don't use. Do you have a quiet time almost every day where you read from the Bible? Do you like the Bible reading part more than the praying part? Right? Do you like singing worship songs at church? Do you like singing worship songs in like raising your hands and closing your eyes as though you're in emotional ecstasy because you are? Right? Or don't you? Or are you just waiting for the sermon? Or... It probably has a lot to do that, with that temperament. And it, it, may actually, um, it may actually be partly good, but it also might be that you are avoiding a holistic way of growing spiritually because you really don't want to grapple with number two and you definitely don't want to grapple with number, your number three. Right? Okay, let's move on. Number two. Okay, now write those down in order of personal gravity for somebody you're ministering to. So if you're in the mentoring program, write them down for somebody for somebody you're mentoring. If you're if you're being mentored, write them down for the person mentoring for you. What's their what's their order? If you're a small group leader, pick somebody in your small group and write it down for them. If you're married, do it for a spouse. If you're living living with somebody, like if you have roommates, write it down for one of your roommates. And see if they're the same. And then see if that makes sense of any dynamic in your relationship. Because it will. Right? If you're getting on fine, almost like, almost like you've known each other since you were kids, well, they're pro- you probably have the exact same order as them. It, you may be trying to tell them something, you're ministering to them in some way, and it just isn't taking. It's like they're not interested. Okay, they may have the reverse order as you. Right? You think this through, and it, expl- it, it helps a lot. It can explain a lot. And if you just do this with anybody you're trying to minister to, just think for a minute, what's their, what's their order on these three things? It'll tell you a lot about how to approach them. So like if I'm, a pro, if I'm trying to minister to somebody, like I'm, I have a, somebody comes to my office, I'm talking to them, and for sure devotion is their number one. I need to talk to them very, very differently than if doctrine is their number one. Sometimes I'll get a couple that will come in and one of them, their doctrine is their number one and another one, devotion is their number one. It's very easy in counseling for me to alienate the one for the, with devotion is their number one because I click with the other person, right? But I, it's harder for me to click with that person. And stuff I say that makes perfect sense to me will make perfect sense to the doctrine person might not make any sense at all or not be compelling at all, really more likely, to the devotion person, right? So, it's a, it's just, I'm trying to give you a very simple tool to sort out approaches to yourself and to other people into ministries and to churches. If you move to another town, you need to find another church. 
when you go visit other churches, one of the questions to ask is, what is this church's order as a whole? Does that make sense? Okay. 2A. How does it mean you'll try to lead your group or disciple someone? So given your list, you're going to naturally disciple someone or lead a group. How are you naturally going to lead that group? Right? So if I, if I don't think about anybody I'm preaching to, I would, I would give a theological discourse basically for every sermon. It would, be a, it would be apologetics and theology and very technical exegesis for the whole duration. You know why? Because I want people to feel something when I preach. That's what I want. No, no I'm not joking. That's not, that's not sarcastic. I want people to feel something when I preach. And that's what makes me feel. It's not that I want people only to think, and so I'm going to do all the thinking stuff, and all we're going to do is think. It's not that. Everybody wants to feel. The analytic people want to feel, too. We're all human beings. The thing, but the thing that makes me feel usually is a fairly tight point that I believe is true. And that piercing truth does something for me, right? But for the romantic, it may not do that much unless it rhymes. You know, or, uh, unless it's a picture of something or it like engages their imagination in a certain kind of way. I'm not saying, if they're not stupid. They're just different. They, they, what, what captures their heart is different. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm going to run out of time here. I, all right, let's see if we can, okay. 2B, what kind of church or mentor or pastor are you going to feel fed by? So you see, if, if, if doctrine is your number one and you've partly come to High Point Church because doctrine is your number one, okay? I'm going to pick on Mike. Beresford. And Mike Beresford preaches the sermon. Now, what is Mike Beresford's preaching, number one? Probably devotion, right? He would think it's action, but it's probably devotion. I'm just kidding. But, but, but Mike's first two are probably devotion and action, right? Like, listen, you kn- Mike's assumption, look, you know this stuff. You know this stuff, right? We need to do the stuff. Let's do the stuff. Let me tell you a story about feeling this stuff so that you'll do this stuff, right? That's that's Mike Beresford. Nick is like, let me argue with you, right? I'm like, you don't know this stuff. You think you know this stuff? You don't know this stuff. Let me tell you about this stuff. Don't you feel that stuff? Now let's go do this stuff. That's me, right? Lloyd, it, it depends on the Sunday for him. <laughs> He's the only one who actually uses the list, right? But, you, but see, you can come to the church and like, you might like my preaching, then Mike gets up there and you're like, I don't think I like this. Well, tough, man. There's, we want people who have different lists. That's one of the reasons we hired Mike, because he didn't have my list, right? That's, that's as important as hiring people of other genders and other races. It's, it's extremely important to have varying temperaments so that we can, we can kind of be whole and we're encouraged people and we have to grapple with people that are different from us and that we have to figure out how to communicate with them, right? Three. I'm getting towards the end here. What limitations are you most likely to avoid dealing with based on your list? So about a, some of you guys know this. I think I've said this. Oh, I said this in church a few times. So about a year ago, I started having a lot of pretty significant physical ailments related to stress because I don't, I don't think stressful thoughts. I can control them. But your body keeps the score, as one book is entitled. And like my body was like, no, we're stressed, man. I'm like, no, we're not. We're fine. Everything's good. Church is great. People love us. It's good. And then my body's like, it's, we're not good. We're actually not good. It's not good. And I'm like, it's fine, right? So basically, 
devotion is my last, right? And doctrine is my first. So I'm going to think my way out of my emotional problems. And the problem is, is that you, you can't always deal with emotional problems that way. You can't, deal, you can't always deal with insecurities or brokenness from your past that way. And so I don't want to handle that stuff. I've handled a lot of the other big problems in my life. Most of the other big things in my life that were problems I handled, that my capacities I've marshaled about as much as I can because I wanted to get the most out of myself that I could. Because I can do that by thinking and working hard and acting. The weakest thing about me is probably my capacity to deal with my emotional problems. And that's exactly what you would predict from the kind of person I am. And so one of the things that God had to show me over the last couple of years was that wasn't good enough. Me focusing on my number one and using my number two so that I didn't have to deal with the things related to my number three wasn't going to be good enough for him. He's like, that's, we're not going to do that. If we have to make your body disintegrate, then we're going to do that because you're not, you're not going to do that. And so I just, I just had to start dealing with stuff I didn't want to deal with. And I think it's helped me a lot. And if I would have just realized that instead of, because probably the, what the case is is that um, unless you've suffered, suffered a lot of pain, you're probably in denial about the fact that you don't want to face your number three. So some of you, for example, you just, you don't really want to think clear thoughts. Like it's, it's freaking hard work to think clearly, okay? Bertrand Russell said, you know, most people would rather die than think. In fact, most do, right? And <clears throat> like thinking clear thoughts is difficult. Studying Bible passages to, to find out what they say rather than what you freely associate with them is hard work. You have to train your mind to do it. The, when you first start doing it, like oftentimes your mind just isn't strong enough, especially if you're no longer in school. You start doing a job and then your mind just kind of focuses on whatever you need to do for your job and the rest of your brain just goes to sleep permanently, you know? And so <clears throat> you think that you have a, an active mind, but you don't really have an active mind because your job stuff, even if you have an in intelligent um, in educationally based job, it still is incredibly repetitive, even if it's pretty high level. And so you really don't have to use much of your mind. And so most people don't. And so then when they have to think a clear thought about God, they can't. And to deal with that, to face that, to get all out of your mind that you can is terrifying to most people, right? Except for the people that that's all they want to do, right? <clears throat> and then for a lot of people, they just want to talk about stuff and feel stuff, and they don't want to do stuff. Because doing stuff, you can fail. Doing stuff, people will hate, can hate you or not appreciate you. Doing stuff means you can waste your resources or assets. Doing stuff means you can get your heart broken. Doing stuff is not, <clears throat> is not always the road to happiness. And so for some of us, we don't, we don't want to do stuff. Right? We, we don't want to change the jobs from the job we hate. We don't want to ask somebody out because we're sick of being alone. We don't want to go to a conference that we know would help us. We don't want to, we don't want to do the thing. And, and I see that a lot. So many people just, they know, they know what they need to do. They have a problem. They know that there's something that's going to catch up with them. They know it. And they know what they need to do. And they don't do it. And they don't do it sometimes for multiple decades. Parents watch their children growing up. They know what they need to do. And then they just don't do it year after year after year. And then their kid is grown and they're like, I don't know what happened. And you, you did know what happened. You, you knew what you had to do. You just didn't 
do it because you were afraid of the results and what would happen and the things you couldn't control. Right? And so, what do you now want to deal with? <clears throat> How do you try to get more out of your number three? Probably by doing your number one to get more out of your number three, which isn't necessarily bad. But you should know that about yourself because if somebody else needs to get more out of their number three, going to your number one might not help them. Does that make sense? How do you help someone else find more of one of those? They might need more devotion, but it may not be by attacking them on the devotional level. So for me, if, if, if I need more devotion, what I need is this. This helps me get there. For other people, getting out and doing something in the acts of doing it and being with people, you like high extroverts are like this. They'll get out and they'll do a bunch of stuff and they'll feel really energized and out of that energy, they'll feel a lot of devotion. They're like, something just happened. Jesus just did something. Like We just did some stuff for Jesus. This is awesome. Don't assume if people need this, what they need is for you to attack that directly. It's often not. And people often assume that. If they need more feeling, you just talk feeling stuff at them and it doesn't help them. Well, only for a third of people will that help them. For the other two-thirds of people, hitting their number one to stoke their number three is usually what helps the most, right? I think this is the last, last one. Think of the person that has frustrated you in your ministry or small group. Okay, so if you're like a small group leader, think about the person in your small group that like annoys the heck out of you, right? Now write down their list. You might find it really enlightening. So my, my goal tonight was just to give you a simple rubric about human temperament that is very easy to overlook, but actually explains an enormous amount about our ministries. And by using this simple thing, you can understand more about how you can grow spiritually, how you want to grow spiritually, the things you ignore about how you need to grow spiritually. You can understand the people you're trying to minister to and what they need from you, why they're not responding to you. You can see how your ministry might be getting out of balance, how it might come back in balance. You can understand how to reach a problematic kid that you're trying to parent, or you might understand why you and your spouse don't click spiritually, though you both really love Jesus. Maybe your spouse doesn't really not like Jesus as much as you. Maybe you just have very different temperaments, and it's why it's hard to get on the same page spiritually. You can understand how to find a new church if you go to a different place. You can understand how to lead your ministry if you're doing one. It's a, it's a very simple idea. You can get a lot out of it. So I hope that, I hope you feel equipped by that. And um, I hope you find it helpful. So use it. And it, it really will, it'll open up a lot of opportunities and it'll help you not waste a lot of time. And the people you minister to will feel helped instead of misunderstood. Does that make sense? Let's pray. God, we, um, we thank you for the amount of, some moments we got tonight to talk about this. I pray that you take this fairly simple idea and I pray that you'd help people to use it fruitfully in their ministries. I, I want to thank you for every person here. God, I pray that you would bless every person here. I pray that you would fill them with a sense of enjoyment of knowing that they're part of a small brother and sisterhood who is committed to serving other people, to serving them so that they can come to you in faith, to serving them so that they can grow in their faith, and to serving them so that they can make it to the end. And I pray that you'd fill each of us with a sense of profound satisfaction in being part of that ministry. And I pray you'd help us to enjoy the brother and sisterhood because you said that for even of those of us who lose family members because of your name, that you would give us a hundred times back more in this life and in the age to come eternal life. Help us to enjoy our brothers and sisters, our life together and the work you've given us to do. And I pray that you would help us to feel our undeserved 
sense of your thankfulness in us. That you love us and your unfailing love will guide us to the most fruitful path for us together in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us online on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or otherwise share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways that we have to reach new listeners. So until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip. Thank you.